0: Hey, um, I want to speak tonight about Esther and um, she's such an amazing lady and um, if you haven't read the book of Esther, it's only 10 chapters uh, in the middle of the Old Testament. It's an amazing book. Uh, It's one of those books that if you read chapter one, you've kind of got to read all 10 chapters. It's a really compelling read and um, yeah, so we're going to sort of talk a little bit about her story tonight and uh, just how that might relate to us in times of hopelessness. Uh, and, in, and, and, and how we can get to sort of seeing, well, if there's, if there's hope. So I want to talk about some, some pretty kind of hopeless situations to start off with. Uh, this guy, Horatio Spafford, um, he was a dude that lived um, a long time ago, back in like the late 1800s. And about 1873, he had a... Uh, well, he had, he had five children. He had one son and four daughters. And his only son uh, uh, passed away at the age of four from scarlet fever, um, which you can imagine would have been a really um, horrible thing to happen. Um, a couple of years later, he wanted to go to. He was American. He wanted to go to Europe to um, have a bit of a holiday, uh, to go and see his friend D.L. Moody preach. And so he actually sent his family on ahead of him. His wife and his four daughters. And the ship they were they were uh, they were traveling on actually hit uh, another ship, and sank. And um, his wife survived, but the four daughters drowned in the tragedy. And um, his, uh, many, many years later, him and his wife, they had more children after this. And um, one of his daughters said that um, as he was passing over that place where his daughters had drowned, he actually penned the song, It Is Well, which is an old hymn. And um, you can see the words up on the screen there. Um, but I, I want to draw your attention to those last four lines. Whatever my lot... In other words... Whatever's going on, thou, God, has taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. I mean, that's just incredible, crazy kind of faith that he's just like, you know what, even though this is absolute destitute, crap, rubbish, awful part of life, I'll be okay. Because God is still good, which I think is incredible to um, to be able to get to that point. Um, and then, of course, you've got the story of Job in the Bible who... Um, Job was a guy who lost, in the space of a few minutes it almost seemed, that he lost um, his animals, uh, which were all stolen. His servants were all killed, and um, his house fell to the ground, and his children were uh, were all killed. It seemed all in the space of a very short time. And this was his response. Um, At this, Job got up and tore his robe and shaved his head, and then he fell to the ground in worship. He said, "Naked, I came from my mother's womb, and naked I will depart the Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised I don't know about you, but um, when I've had my moments of grief and my moments of despair um, I haven't fallen to the ground and said, May the name of the Lord be praised I've said a lot of other things there, but I don't think you'd find them in the Bible, and I I want to sort of make a bet that many of you will be, would be the same. Um, I'm from Kalanga. I know a lot of cool Kalanga words. Um, to, tonight's not the time for a Kalanga English lesson. Um, but you know what I mean? Like This is crazy Like that Job does this. I, often, I find it interesting, though. A lot of people say he just worshipped God straight away. But uh, it does say that he got up, he tore his robe, he shaved his head, which was a way of showing grief. And so maybe some people can say that that is a moment of worship and maybe it was but um, I think it's fascinating that that's his first response. Horatio Spafford's response to the passing of all of his daughters, his four precious daughters was to say it is well with my soul. Um, I don't know how long it was and and, you know before he actually wrote that song, I I imagine it would have been a few weeks. Um, And then also you know Job's response to kind of worship God in this moment of Of um, despair but I think a little bit like Job when I've had my moments of of hardship I remember when I first went to hospital and I was very almost a little bit euphoric at times and a bit like no it'll be okay you know God's got this and we'll be fine and and I'll be okay and um, and I remember I looked back on some of my Facebook posts you know Facebook brings up your memories from two years ago or whatever and um uh, it's just over two years since I went to hospital and one of my posts was, hey guys, you know, can you pray for me? It looks like I might be in hospital um, for a couple of weeks <laughs> and I ended up being in hospital for about five months, uh, which I, if someone had told me that at the start, I would have just said, oh no, I don't, I don't want to do that, thanks. <laughs> I don't think anyone wants to go to hospital for, for five months, um, let alone, by the way, there's guys that, there's guys that go in for, for two years uh, that, that, that have spinal injuries um, uh, in the neck, so... My deal wasn't even that bad. But I think um, my, my initial response might have been, yeah, I'll be okay. But then we kind of get to this point of actually, no, you know what? I don't want to do this anymore. And if you read the story of Job, as he goes on, he kind of goes, after a while, he gets to the point where he says, blot out the day of my birth, God. Like, I don't even want to exist. I want to die. And I don't know about you, but I've had moments in my life when things are just so, so, so hard and so bad, you start to pray really dangerous prayers things like dear god i pray please god let me just crash my car into a pole today or god please just kill me give me a disease i don't care what it is just take me out i don't want to do this anymore this is just too hard and i want to make a clarifying statement that if that's you and and that's where you're at tonight i want to encourage you to to reach out for help to talk to somebody tonight don't go home with that on your on your heart we would love to help you through that but but in those moments you know it it, it's it's real that's how you feel that's what you're saying to god and and i i must admit i'm not i feel like i'm not much of a christian in those moments because i i tend to mock god and and say terrible things to him and 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 um remind him of what he's done in the past and say you know where are you now yeah this looks good you really work things together for the good of you of your people i mean this is great isn't it and and be really sarcastic and rude and and um, and just kind of it. it and I and I, I, I you know what the, the good thing about our God <laughs> is that he understands our hearts. He looks beyond the words, and he understands our hearts. And um, it's a little bit like you know when um, if you if you've got children of your own, or if you've worked closely with kids, they'll often say one thing, but they mean another. You know. So for example, a baby might cry, but it it cries in different ways, and a parent knows. Oh, well, that's that means that she's hungry or that means that he's tired or, or, or whatever, you know, and they, and they understand um, what their child needs. And I feel like God is like that because I feel like in my moments of saying those sarcastic things, God's just saying, look, you don't understand right now and I know that's really hard, but just calm down. <laughs> you will be okay and things will be all right and you will get through this emotionally. I know it's hard for you right now. And so I want to talk about Esther And um, I want to start off in Esther chapter 3. There's a few different characters in the book of Esther. And um, so um, Esther has become the queen. Uh, Esther was described as one of the most beautiful women that ever lived. and, uh, And that's the reason that she was picked to be queen. It was a sort of strange kind of way of becoming the queen, um, the king was just out, didn't care what origin, he didn't care what race, didn't care what religion or anything the women in his kingdom were, he was just like, I want the finest of them, bring them to me and um, and I will pick which one of them is going to be my queen and he picks Esther, who's a Jew, which he didn't know that. So Haman, who uh, is a guy who's quite an enemy of the Jews, he comes to the king and he says, um, you know, there was, he says, there is a certain people dispersed among the people's in all the provinces of your kingdom, who keep themselves separate. Their customs are different from those of all other people, and they do not obey the king's laws. It is not in the king's best interest to tolerate them. So, if it pleases the king, let a decree be issued to destroy them. And I will give 10,000 talents of silver to the king's administrators for the royal treasury. Now, I want to fix up an error I made this morning. I said, uh, the king would do anything for a buck. But I forgot that actually what happens is the king actually says, uh, don't even worry about your money. I actually don't even need it. I don't even want it. Um, but he then, uh, the next couple of verses say, the king took his signet ring from his finger. He gave it to Haman, son of Haman, the whatever that is, the enemy of the Jews. Keep the money, the king said to Haman, and do with the people as you please. And of course, um, in those times when the king... Uh, you know, sealed something with his ring. That was it. The law could not be changed. It could not be repealed. Not even the king himself could say, actually, no, I don't want to do that anymore. That was it. That law was done and dusted. It had to take place. And so what the king has done is he said on this particular day, in this particular month, all of the Jews will be killed. And um, when Mordecai... Now, Mordecai is Esther's cousin um, and not, not... not the uncle, as a lot of people think. That's what I thought until I read it through. And actually, they were cousins. And Mordecai raises Esther as like his own kind of daughter because um, she didn't have parents. It says um, that we can assume that she was an orphan, I suppose. And so Mordecai raises her as his own daughter. When Mordecai heard about this law, he tore his clothes, sound familiar, a bit like Job, tore his clothes, put on sackcloth and ashes, and he went out into the city, wailing loudly and bitterly. Now, Esther... Hears about this, and I don't think she quite understands the the gravity of this law. So she actually sends clothes with her servants out to Mordecai <clears throat> to kind of say, "Hey, it's going to be okay. Like, you know, what are you crying for? You know, like, dress yourself properly, please, and and um, you know, you'll be fine." And Mordecai uh, sends a message back to her, and uh, and he says. Do not think that because you are in the king's house, you alone of all the Jews will escape. <clears throat> so in other words, he's saying to her, you're a Jew too. Do you get it? This is a law. You, you will also be killed, Esther. Don't think that you're going to escape. And then he says this crazy thing, because I don't know about you, but if I was told that you know all the Christians in Australia are going to be killed, or all the, you know, um, I don't even know what nationality I am, Hairy uh, gorilla-like, maybe sort of Greek but not Greek, German guys are going to be killed. Oh, whatever it is, but like I'd be like, oh my goodness, this this is it. Like we're done, we're dusted, we're over. It's 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 all over. Like this is just terrible news. Uh, But this is what Mordecai's response is. He says to Esther, "If you remain silent at this time, get this ready, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place." But you and your you and your father's family will perish. And of course, the the famous verse uh, in Esther. um, Who knows? But that you have come uh, to your royal position for such a time as this. But backtrack there. That sentence before is is crazy. Mordecai says, "If you don't do anything about this, that's okay. Something will happen anyway, because my faith and my trust is not in humans." says Mordecai my faith and trust is not in you but my faith and my trust is in my God because my God will not abandon us my God never says I don't care my God will never give up on us my God will deliver us somehow some way he's gonna do it amen and my friends I want to tell you that that God that Mordecai served that's the same God that we serve today that's the same God that will never abandon you today. That's the same God that will never say to you, I don't care today. That's the same God that will never give up on you today. That's our God. He's awesome. He will deliver us somehow, some way. He will do it. That's what Mordecai believed. And then Esther has her moment. This is kind of like her dad speaking to her. And it sinks in, and she has to think about it. And so she responds, and she says, I will go to the king, even though it is against the law. And she says this, and if I perish, I perish. (laughs) I'm going to die. You know what? I'm going to put it all out in the line for you, Mordecai. I'm going to put it all out in the line for the Jews. I'm going to put it all on the line for God. And if I perish, I perish. Because you see, even though she was the king's wife, not even she could just go up to the king and talk to him. She had to be accepted. And the king hadn't seen her for 30 days. So she was worried that he might not listen to her and that he might say, get out of my presence and, 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 and kill her. Because if you approach the king without him wanting to, if you approach the king on a bad day, for example, he would wipe you out. And so she fasts for three days. She asks Mordecai and all the Jews, fast with me. Let's not eat. Let's pray. Let's ask God to do something about this, we don 't know what he can do because we know the law can 't be changed, but let's just put it out there and see what happens and so of course, she goes to the king and he 's happy to see her he holds out his golden sceptre to her, which I think is just bizarre and um, and uh, and he listens to her and of course, it takes some time and eventually she's able to talk through him but before I go and before we go and talk about what she says to the king because It's sort of a little bit strange. She asks the king uh, and Haman to come and have dinner with her. And they come and they have this wonderful time. And the king finally says at the end of the night, what do you want? And she says, I'll tell you what, why don't you come back tomorrow, let's have dinner again, and I'll tell you then. And of course, the king and Haman are really happy. They're like, okay, yeah, that's great, you know. You've fed us and we've, you know, they've... Um, you know there was wine, and there was food, and there was you know a great time yeah let 's come back and do this again. Great idea, and so off they go and um, and so what happens is uh, that's that 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 um, after that first dinner, it says that night the king could not sleep, so he ordered the book of the chronicles, the record of his reign to be brought in and read to him. It was found recorded there that Mordecai had exposed. The big guy there and um, the other one. Two of the king's officers who guarded the doorway, who had conspired to assassinate King Xerxes. What honour has Mordecai received for this? The king asked. Nothing has been done for him, his attendants answered. And so this is kind of like, gets to the morning and the king's like, what, nothing's been done for Mordecai? He saved my life. Like These two guys were going to kill me. He found out about it. He stopped it from happening. He saved my life. And we haven't thanked him? And the king says, who's out there in the court right now? And, the, and and his officials say, oh, actually, Haman's just come in because Haman had just come in the palace. He says, great, go and get Haman for me. Now, this is Haman who hates the Jews. This is Haman who's ordered that all the Jews be killed. This is Haman who's got the king's signet ring, got the, the law signed off, and sent it out to all the provinces and said... Oh, yeah, Jews, you're all going to die soon. Uh, awesome. Yeah, okay, yeah, get Haman to come in here. And he says, Haman, the king says, Haman, what should the king do to honour a man? And, <laughs> of course, Haman thinks, well, the king must be talking about me. I, I'm pretty good. I've done a lot of good things. I mean, I got to have dinner with him and the queen last night. Like, So Haman says, you know what? Uh, I'll tell you what he'd do. He would put a robe on the man He would put him on one of his finest horses. He would parade him around the city and shouting out, this is what the king does to honour a man. And the king says, great. And this is what the king says, actually. I've got it written down. Go at once, the king commanded Haman. Get the robe and the horse and do just as you have suggested for Mordecai the Jew who sits at the king's gate. And do not neglect anything you have recommended. I mean, can you imagine? This would be like Bill Shorten having to take Scott Morrison around going, this is the man that won the election. You all voted for him, and that's wonderful. I mean, this just would never happen, right? This is not going to happen. Um, I think it's wonderful we live in a country that um, our politicians will actually congratulate each other and, and, and be civil. That's amazing. That's, we, that's pretty rare. I think we're very blessed to live in a country like Australia, regardless of who you vote for and things. But that would never happen in, 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 in this time. And in King Xerxes' kingdom. And certainly Haman didn't want to do that. But this is what Haman has to do. He has to follow what the king has instructed him. So he does. He goes. He takes Mordecai. He puts a robe on him. He sticks him on the finest horse. He parades him around the city and he shouts out, this is what the king does to honour a man. And the Bible says that Haman was so embarrassed and so upset that he had to do this that actually covered his head in shame as he went home. And something else happens that's... Pretty insane. When he gets home, Haman, his advisors and his wife Zeresh said to him, Since Mordecai, before whom your downfall has started, is of Jewish origin, you cannot stand against him. You will surely come to ruin. Now, that's just crazy. I don't know how many times I've read the book of Esther, but I've skipped over that verse until recently and went, Hang on a minute. Haman's own wife says to him stop stop what you're doing man you can't beat this guy he's a Jew have a look through history understand your history books the Jews always win their God always wins their God is insane he seems to be able to defeat everyone just just calm down and don't do this you're gonna come to ruin the next verse: While they were still talking with him, the king's eunuchs arrived and hurried Haman away to the banquet Esther had prepared. I mean, Haman's Haman's sold. He he he. Um, earlier he he he. It says in the Bible that he puts up these, this 25-meter pole in his yard to kill to impale Mordecai on. I mean, that's how much he hates the guy. That's how much he's like. Okay, I'm incensed by this whole situation. I want him impaled on this pole. That's what's going to happen on that day. When the Jews go, I'm going to get him and I'm going to do that. And it's going to be awesome. Everyone's going to watch and we're going to see that these Jewish people, these horrible people who who don't bow down and worship our gods and who don't bow down and honour me, that is what they're going to get. Oh yeah, because that's, sorry, that's what actually happened uh, earlier on was Haman wanted people to to bow down and honor him, and Mordecai was the only one that wouldn't. And this, of course, is what started all this anger that well, he didn't bow down and worship me. He didn't bow down and honor me. So that's it. I'm gonna, I'm gonna get him. Because of course Mordecai is like, I will not bow down and honor any man, I will only bow down and honor my God, because he is the only one worthy of my worship. I mean there's so many guys in the Bible who who we, we talk about Mordecai, you know, and the other one that comes to mind, if you know the story of Daniel, you know, Daniel just never compromises on his faith, he never comes back and says, "Okay, well, I'll, I'll, I suppose I'll worship them just so I don't die." No, he never does that. He he only worships God. I mean, you kind of, and we hear of these modern day people, don't we? Of you know, if a gun was held to their head, you know, some of the awful terrorist attacks and high school things in America, where where people have been said, you know, "Do you believe in God?" and they've said yes, and they've been killed. I don't know what I would do in that situation. I'd like to think that I'd say, "Yes, I believe in God," but I kind of tend to think that maybe I'd go, "No, I'm not a Christian. No, I'm not." You know and and of course there's people like Peter in the in the New Testament who who when um, you know when he's asked hey aren't, aren't you the guy that hangs around with Jesus he's like no 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 that's not me and he says it three times and on the third time it says he curses and says no that wasn't me and then he realizes Jesus actually said to him you're gonna you're gonna say that you don't know me three times and Peter's like no I'll never do that and of course he does and he's upset with himself and so there are these two different sort of peoples in the Bible, two different types of people in the Bible, who are like you and me, some who, some who are really stoic and like, yep, I'm sold out, I will never compromise on my faith, and some who I feel like what I would be like and what, what Peter is like, where they, they compromise on their faith, but then realise, actually, no, that's, that's dreadful, and they, and they repent, and God loves them and, and just as much, and God honours them and rewards them just as much, because of course, we do not believe as Christians, we, not, we, not, we do not believe... In a works-based faith. There is nothing that you can do to earn God's love. You know? Tim Neal is this wonderful guy who's a pastor and things. He is going to be in no better place in heaven than anyone here. And no worse place. You know, our God will honor us the same in eternal life, in, in the sense that we will all those who believe will receive salvation. That's it. And I wanna I wanna be very careful that you guys understand that. So what happens after that? Well, of course, Haman's taken away to this banquet, and uh, and um, you know the king says, "Well, hey, you know, what do you want?" Esther and Esther's like, "Well, you know, you've got this law that all the Jewish people are going to die. I'm one of those people. Please, don't let this happen." And the king says, "What vile human being made up that law?" <laughs> she says, "Him, Haman, the other guy at the table." And the king is so enraged he gets up from his chair. Uh, And it says he stops drinking his wine. That's what the Bible says. And he goes out and he has a walk around the palace. Meanwhile, Esther goes and reclines on the couch. Presumably she was upset. Maybe she was crying. Maybe she was shaking. with fear. I don't know. But she goes and she lies down on the couch. And the moment the king comes back in, Haman has actually come up to the couch where Esther is reclining. And the Bible says he's falling on the couch, maybe begging her for his life. And the king misinterprets what's kind of going on there. And he says... Uh, He says, will Haman molest the queen in front of the king? I mean, is that how low you've gone, man? And uh, straight away, the officials come in, they cover Haman's head, they take him away, and they impale him on the pole that Mordecai was supposed to be impaled on. He gets impaled in his own yard, because the official's like, oh yeah, by the way, he'd done this. And the king's like, oh well, you know what? Why don't you take him there and, and impale him on his own pole? And sometimes we read these stories in the Bible, and we think, yeah, Kill them till they're dead. Yeah. That doesn't make sense. But um, <laughs> I want to just quickly sidetrack because whenever I used to hear these things in the Bible, it used to make me think, what is up with God? Um, Ezekiel 33, 11 is really important to keep in mind. As sorely as I live, declares the sovereign Lord, I take no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but rather that they turn from their ways and live. Turn, turn from your evil ways. So I just want to clarify that you know, God isn't there going, "Yay, Haman's dead," and and that's what I wanted because that's not how our God works. He wants that everyone. There's there's a number of other verses in Lamentations in in Second Timothy where God says, "You know, that He desires for everyone to know Him." That's what He that's what He really wants. Okay, um, and, and you'd have to have someone smart like Tim Neal come and explain. You know, God's will versus. Um, you know, human will and all this kind of stuff. And, and I don't quite understand it. And, and the way Tim looks, he probably doesn't quite understand it either. But there's a beautiful complexity there that I think one day will be fully revealed in eternity. But for now, we sit in this kind of, uh, we, we kind of sit in this, in this world where some of those things don't fully, we don't fully quite understand what they mean. But the one thing we do know is that God loves us. And those who are faithful to him, those who say yes to God will be honoured And that's actually what happens to Mordecai. Mordecai ends up being honored so much that he becomes second in charge to the king. I don't know what else happens. You can probably find out in history books and the things, what happens with Esther and Mordecai and things. But in terms of the Bible, in chapter 10, which is only three verses long, it's interesting... You think they just could have chucked on the end of chapter 9, but anyway, I don't know who made up the chapters and verses, but they didn't do a very good job with Esther. Anyway, so, uh, but that's what happens. So Mordecai is on into the second place. I don't know what happens with Esther, but uh, because the king can't repeal the law, what he does is he says, I will make another law that on that day that we've assigned, the Jews can defend themselves with whatever measure they need. And, and of course, that's what they do. And, and so, so many of the Jews live, and so many of the Jews. Are able to uh, make it through, and um, and of course Esther and Mordecai are in that lot of people who survive, of people who are able to to carry on with their lives. But just take stock of that story. I know it's a really long story, but I just love it. I, that's why I am going on about it for the last twenty minutes. But you know, I just love that story because it, you know, these guys are told you're going to die, and there's nothing you can do about it. And I just wonder how many of the Jews would have given up in that moment? How many of them would have um, fled the country? in fact, I was talking to to Bill Hay this morning if you don't if, if, if you 're ever going to come on the AIMS service, you need to meet Jenny Eames and then you need to also meet Bill Hay. they are just oh, there's, there's so many incredible people in our morning service There really are and um, and Bill is just this incredible, wise, knowledgeable man, and um, he was actually saying to me that um, after the, uh, in, in chapter 9, it talks about the festival of, of um, Purim, I think that's how you say it, P U R I M. And what happened was that the children would dress up in fancy clothes and often dress as foreigners. And uh, there's a theory that the reason they did that was because many of the Jews, in order to not be found out to be Jewish, started to dress and act like foreigners. So that they wouldn't be killed on that particular day. It's fascinating stuff. I was like, "What?" There's just so many complexities to these stories, so many intricacies. And I think that's that's crazy because, like, you know, that's that's like the temptation is to run away from trouble. I know I've tried to run away from the things um, that um, that are that are that I'm faced with, but I mean, like can't run at all anyway so that doesn't really make sense anyway but anyway um you know what i mean like we we want to just get away from our problems and uh and we and we can't and and i wonder how many of the jews just didn't see this through because the ones that did oh the glory right like oh the amazing thing of looking back and going wow god took the most desperate destitute situation we could possibly face death and he turned it into this amazing thing where not only do we live, but we've now got the queen and the second in charge as Jewish people, as people who will look after us and support us, give us our rights, give us what we need to live, and, 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 and worship our God, and, and, and blah, blah, blah. I mean, that's just crazy. I want, I want to show you this really cool quote from uh, one of my favorite pastors, Craig Groeschel. What do you do when you're in the valley? You remember what God has done, when he comforted you, when he guided you, when he answered your prayer exactly the way you wanted him to, and when he didn't do what you wanted, but sometime later you realised it was exactly what you needed. (laughs) And you dare to believe that what he's done before, he will do again. My friends, I don't know what all of you are going through, but I, I look around the room and I know so many of you who are going through some pretty tough stuff or have been through some tough stuff in your life. And, and how true is that quote for those of us that have been through, through the valley? And by the way, you know, a lot of people say, oh, you know, especially in my situation, oh, well, you know, I often think of you, Josh, and I think, oh, well, you know, it could be worse. That is, I just don't, that's not a helpful way to think because I know people that are much, much worse than me. And those, and, and, and those people know much most people. And, and, and the list goes on. And so pain is pain, my friends. Pain is pain. And whatever you're going through is, 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 is what Satan is trying to get at you with right at the moment. That's what he does. Um, you know, what, and, and God knows that. And God is there with you. And God is working with you to, to uh, bring about the good of those who love him, to bring about your good and to bring about his glory. And as you begin to understand God more and more, you begin to understand that that is actually what's best for everyone, is his glory, whatever it takes for his glory. I mean, think about the song we sang, and I remember singing this song so many times before wheelchair life. Put me anywhere. (laughs) Just put your glory in me. I'll serve anywhere. God's like, really? (laughs) Okay. Well, all right. I mean, think about the story of Job for a second. I know I've said this before, but I want, you to, I want you to take what I'm saying and I want you to apply it to your own life, okay? Because what happens in the story of Job is, you know, God and the devil are having a bit of a chat. And um, I don't know how that works, but God and the devil are having a chat and God says, have you considered my servant Job, who's just amazing? And, um, and, and and Satan says, you know, I bet you if I throw all this stuff at him, he won't he won't serve you. And God's like, really? All right, well, I'll tell you what, you can throw this, 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 this and this at him, but you can't do... You, you, here's the line, you have to stop here. And I bet you he still does. And Satan's like, all right, let's do it. And so Satan takes great delight in coming and, and, and pouring out these these terrible things upon Job. And of course, what does Job do? He he, he shaves his head, um, which I clearly haven't done um, Tim has, so maybe that's why Tim's slightly holier than me. But, 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 he, but he worships God. And I mean, that, that's taken place in my life, where, where Satan and God have had a chat, and God's gone, have you considered my, my, my servant, my son Josh? And Satan's gone, oh, I'll tell you what, I bet you if I put him in a wheelchair he won't worship you. And God's like, all right, do it. And here I am, and I will worship God, and nothing's going to stop me. And I, and I want you to apply that to your own life for a moment. Satan and God have had a chat. Satan's gone, I'll tell you what, I'm going to do this to them because I know that will get to them. God's like, all right, here's the line where you're not allowed to cross. I bet you they'll still follow me. God takes no pleasure in those things. And I want to remind you that all pain is temporary. What we just sang before, hallelujah. There is an appointed end to suffering. This is only temporary. Whatever we're going through, it won't last all these things we'll look back on in eternity and go, wow, that was hard, but wasn't it worth the temporary pain? I want to finish with, with a story, a real-life story, of, of a lady who is such a... I'm going to say such an inspiration to me, but I feel like that's a cop-out because one of the things I hate is when people come up to me and go, oh, you're such an inspiration, and I go, what does that even mean? What, what do you mean, an inspiration? And maybe you've had that applied to your own life. You're an inspiration, no, I don't know if we are an inspiration. Because when hardship comes at you, you don't have a choice. If you had the choice, you would say no to it. And you would say, I don't want to do it. I would rather have a really easy life and not be an inspiration, thank you very much. I mean, isn't that all of us, right? And so this this lady, when I say she's an inspiration, I... Feel like a hypocrite because now I realize that maybe that's what people mean. Is more so, not so much that you're looking down on them, but that actually their story inspires you to keep going. And this is a lady whose story inspires me to keep going. And her name is uh, Kayla Stokeline or Kayla Stockline, I don't know how you say it. Some of you would have heard her story uh, just under a year ago. Her husband Andrew was a pastor at, um, I think it's called Inland Hills Baptist Church in America. And uh, he's a young guy, they're they're about 30 30 years of age, three boys. He was having some pretty significant mental health battles, big, big church. Like he's a pastor of a huge congregation. And um, he actually took six months off to deal with his mental health problems. And uh, he started to feel a lot better in her mind. And so he, he finally came back to ministry. They actually got up and preached his first sermon back together. And, uh, and and she was really happy. She thought he was in a much better place. And that first week that he came back, uh, during that week, he he took his own life. And um, I mean, just such tragic stuff. You know, like a pastor of a megachurch. Like you think that's the last person that's going to take their life. But and um, uh, but, but you know, and Andrew loved God. Like the, uh, you know, I have no no doubt that that he is with God. Um, a lot of people will say horrible things, like when you commit suicide, you go to hell. That's not how this, you know things aren't as black and white as that. You know things are coloured. I think that mental health is as much of a disease as cancer. And I want to encourage you that if somebody said that to you in your life, it's not true. Um, but if but if you are facing your own kind of suicidal stuff, please reach out to somebody because the pain that this lady and her boys are carrying is immense. Uh, you know, and and that 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 I won't take away in, in that. Yes, Andrew had this horrible uh, mental health battle, but, but his action has, has affected Kayla and the boys incredibly in, in an awful way and, and maybe will for, for the rest of their lives. That legacy of, you know, of suicide is awful. And so this is what Kayla wrote on her Instagram only a few days ago, and I encourage you to follow her. She's incredible. She said, Every time I share my story publicly, there is a private wrestling that takes place first. I wonder if this applies to your own life, where I argue with God and I tell him all the reasons why he picked the wrong person. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. And all the reasons why Andrew should be the one carrying this message, not me. And all the reasons why I hate that he has trusted me with carrying this message. I never imagined I would be talking about depression, anxiety, suicide, and mental health. But after the wrestling, there is always peace. There is always an exhale. There is always a way forward, even if it's just a few steps. My friend, if you are carrying a painful privilege or feel like your calling is way out of your comfort zone, you are not alone. The wrestling is normal. It's okay to be mad at God. It's okay to feel ill-equipped. It's okay to want to run the other way. God doesn't usually call us where we are comfortable. It's almost always a call to courage. And the privilege is worth the temporary pain. And then she always finishes her posts with the same hashtag, God's got this, which is what her husband's kind of saying was as a pastor. God's got this. And I love that. It's actually something that's really encouraged me to keep going. God's got this. God's got this. It doesn't look like it sometimes. Sometimes it feels like, like the Jews, I feel like there's been just a notice put out, death. That's all you've got to look forward to. But then I see these amazing things that God does and I see his hand and I see him at work and I see him doing these incredibly beautiful and amazing things in and through me, in and through um, you guys. and, um, And, you know, look, I don't want to big note rivers and make you think that I'm arrogant or something but this is such an amazing church we've got some incredible people here in this room who've been through some incredibly tough situations and god's got this so just before we take communion i want to encourage you with psalm 33 we wait in hope for the lord he is our help and our shield in him our hearts rejoice for we trust in his holy name may your unfailing love be with us lord Even as we put our hope in you, God will never abandon you. God will never say, I don't care, and God will never give up on you. Even when it doesn't look like it. And there are some days where you listen to sermons, you listen to Christian music, whatever, and you just think, yeah, right. And that's okay. But keep going forward. Keep going forward. Keep going forward. And know that you're not alone, that there are people who are with you, that there are people who are in your corner fighting for you and fighting with you. Jesus proved that he always wins. God has proved time and time again that he cannot be defeated. That story in Esther proves that. You can't beat God. You can't wipe out God. He doesn't, He just can't be wiped out. He, he, he has to win. He cannot be defeated. He's the undefeatable God. Jesus went to the cross and he took the punishment for our sins and he died. But if it was left at that, it would just kind of mean that, oh, I suppose our punishment is taken care of. But no, Jesus defeated death. God defeated death, and Jesus was raised to life, proving that when we die, we can also be raised to life with him. And uh, we take communion and we remember um, Jesus' body, which was broken for us, and that's when we take the gluten free saccatars, aka the bread. And, um, and we take the wine, a.k.a. Golden Circle, Tropical Juice, or whatever it is, um, a.k.a. the wine uh, representing the blood of, of, of Jesus. Um, and it's such a, such a special time for us every week to just come back and remember, he can't lose. So as you take communion tonight, I want to encourage you, God's got this. Whatever you're going through, God's got it. And please, I just—I really feel in my heart right now, God's just reminding me to tell you, there are people in this room that you need to talk to someone tonight. You need to reach out and you need to lean on someone else. And if that's you, please do that. There are so many people here. Um, I'm more than happy to talk to you. Um, there are so many wonderful people in this church who who will talk to you as well. Um, and if you are one of those wonderful people, don't think that you're exempt from this either. Um you know, even as a pastor, there have been nights where i 've come up for prayer because i 'm like well i'm i 'm still you know we we 're still part of the team um, yeah absolutely that 's so important god 's got this cool so I might invite um maybe the band to come up and and play some tunes while we have communion and um and then you guys can come up communion so um let 's pray <clears throat> oh God, thank you so much that you never abandon us that you never say i don't care and that you never give up on us thank you that you love us thank you that you absolutely have our best interests at heart father thank you for the mountaintop thank you when things are going well and father for the valley it seems hard to say thank you because it seems like such an awful place And yet so many times we see your hand at work, even more so in those times. So thank you. And I really pray for those people, God, who need to be lifted up tonight. I pray that you would encourage them through this message, through Esther. God, I pray that you would lift them up through um, the love that you've poured out into uh, the people in this place here tonight. And I really pray, God, as we take communion, that we would remember the, the incredible sacrifice that you made for us, Jesus. Thank you so much that you've done that for us. The only way we can say thank you is to just give our lives to you and say yes to you and say yes to everything you have for us. I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.